0: is. might know what a mascal is? You can't say anything. A mascal is instructions, we think. So here we go. A mascal of David. This is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up by the heat of summer. I acknowledge my sin to you and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters you shall not reach him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Reed. Well, good morning, City Church. It's good to be back with you. If you don't notice I got a little bit more of a tan. I like guess I saw it. I've been at the beach for the last few weeks, and it was delightful. Um, we got to rest and just be with our family. I'm actually going to grab this real quick. Forgive me My coffee cup needs a seat. So There we go. All better It's so awkward right now (laughs) Yeah, well, but we're back and it's good to be back with you uh, church family. So yeah uh, We've as you know, we've been in a series on the psalms and today we turn to psalm 32 and as I was preparing for it, I actually realized I preached this a year ago, nearly a year ago, The same psalm, and it's a similar sermon, actually, with a little bit of different emphasis, but then I, I talked to you about hiding and playing hide-and-seek with my kids. Yeah, and so I want to start there today. I play hide-and-seek a lot with my kids, especially when they were younger. My kids are getting a little old for it now, and we're all getting too big to get under the bed. Um, but yeah, so I played a ton with them, and, and the younger they were, I just remember how fun it was. We would... I would go, they would go off and hide upstairs, and I would, I always make this Jaws noise. I would go, I don't know why. (laughs) I just did, and I would do that all around the house. And it's funny, as I would get in the room they were in, and I would make that noise, the two-year-old, Graham or Keller or Avery would, (laughs) they would just start giggling, you know. And always I could see them, right, their arms hanging out or whatever, or it's the same spot they were just in, whatever it was. And, and more and more, and, and something's happening there. What, what's so fun is that they love to hide, but they love even more being found. And I you know, I would fake it, fake it, and all of a sudden they would jump out. ah! And, and you would just see such delight in their face when you found them, right? Well, I've noticed the older they've gotten, I can't find those little boogers anymore. I mean, they hide in places where I'm just like, alright guys, come on. I'm not playing anymore. It, it literally has happened. And you know, it's, it, this is such a good metaphor for life, for, for our relationship with God, isn't it? That, that on the one hand, there's so much of us at times that we want hidden, that we don't want anyone to see. We don't want God to see. But on the other hand, don't we long to be caught, to be found, to be seen? And, and maybe you've even gone through something in your life where you've been exposed and it's horrible when it happens, when, when the light falls on you. But afterwards, isn't it, isn't it weird how there's this strange release? Finally, I don't have to hold that anymore. And I've noticed that the older we get, the better at hiding we seem to become. In our psalm this morning, David, David gives us his story. And we get to see someone who is masterful at hiding. But we get to see someone also who learned something in his hiding, that he, he tasted something, something that was so good that he now had to tell everyone about. He, that's what the masculine means. I want everyone to be instructed on this. Now, some people believe it could be, have something to do with music as well. They don't, they're not exactly certain that's what that means, but others believe it's, it's, this is an instruction. This is something for us to learn that David learned. So he's going to show us some of his life for us to come beside him and just learn with him. And again, we've been on a series, in a series on the Psalms, and we call, we call it Songs for Life, right? Songs that, that meet us in the everyday ups and downs of life. And what our goal is, is to, proact- to, to learn to proactively and reactively walk with God in the ups and downs, in, in, in the depths of our emotions, in the heights of our emotions, in, the, in our struggles, in our joys, all these places. How do we walk with God? How do we meet him there? And the Psalms are songs, they're poetry beauty, and they they have a different way of coming at our heart, a different way of helping us remember the way we sing together. And so we're, let's dive into this psalm and see if, if God will meet us here. And, and again, I, I don't know how you come in this morning or what you bring with you, what you may be hiding in, but where we're going, I just want to give you a taste right now. The beauty of God in his pursuit of us is that we get more of him. All, a lot of times we feel when we need to hide, We get less of him. But in his pursuing us, he's inviting us to more. And so no matter what you brought in today, I hope that you will expect right now that that God is moving towards you, that you can encounter him more and more this morning. And so we're going to jump in and look at a a story that we're given. We're going to then look at the contrast to help us go a little deeper, and then we're going to look at a remedy, David's remedy. And so let's start with a story. You know, Psalm 32 is one of my favorite psalms. It's, it's, it resonates with me because I feel the tension in it, that hiding, uncovering versus uncovering. Uh, when I kept solid, silent verse acknowledging, uh, David is called in Scripture a man after God's own heart. You know that. You, you know, maybe you don't know, but David is, is said to be, we know more about him than anyone in the ancient world ever. We have more written about this one man than anyone else in history. It's David. And Psalm 32 is, is taken in the tradition of Psalm 51. There are six psalms that are penitential psalms. There are ones that, where we learn repentance. And this is one of them. Church history has looked to this psalm and five others, which I can tell you what they are. Actually, I can't. I don't have it in front of me. But it's six, 32, 51, 124. It's, it's six of them anyway. You get the point. But Psalm 32 is, is said to be a fulfillment of Psalm 51. Let me tell you what I mean. You remember in 51 where he says it's verses 10 through 13 he says create in me a clean heart renew your spirit within me cast me not away from your presence restore the joy restore my joy and give me a willingness to follow you and then he says this then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you 32 is is said to be God's response the the, the affirmation the promise the The commitment that David makes, it. let me taste this, give me repentance, and then I will teach others your way. This is his way. This is what David learned. And so for us, you know, we learned Psalm 51 a few weeks ago. uh, Scott preached an incredible sermon on it. Please go back and listen to it. But this is the fulfillment of that sermon. And it's us learning what David learned, learning how to follow in those same footsteps. So David was a man after God's heart. How? Well, his his story shows us. It shows us, it puts us right in the tension that we all need this morning. So let's start and read the first five verses again. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Two more. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up by the heat of summer. As by the heat of summer, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So verses three through five are a window into David's struggle. They're they're a picture into his story. And it's the same one with Bathsheba, where he, if, if you're new to the church, maybe you don't know the story, where David is supposed to be out in battle. And he's not. He's at his kingdom and he's the king of Israel. And he looks down and sees a woman bathing and she's undressed, and he is moved by that, and he wants her as his wife. And so, he makes his guards go and get her. He, you know, goes in with her, and they end up having a child. Her husband comes back, real, and they don't want him to know, or, you know, they're trying to cover it up, and so he ends up having Uriah put to the front of the battle and killed. And so then, he's an adulterer, a murderer, and he's covers all this up. And guess what? He doesn't confess it himself. He holds all of this inside of him. And that's what we have to believe is happening here. And, and you say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Psalm 51, Psalm 32, what do you mean he doesn't confess? Well, before any of this, God sends Nathan to him. Nathan is a prophet in, the, in, the, in Israel in that time. And Nathan goes to him and he tells him the story. You know, this rich man has all these sheep. This poor man has one sheep. Remember this? And he says, the rich man looks at the one sheep and Although he has all these, he takes that sheep from him. David, what should happen to that man? You remember what David says? He should be murdered. He should be killed. He should, uh, he just goes off on him. And then Nathan says, David, that man is you. So David, in order to come out of hiding, he had to be confronted. This isn't just a a, a willing heart here. And that's when when we get to verse 9. At the bottom, he says, don't be like a mule, Don't be like I was. Don't be stubborn and and, and have to be pulled to God's presence. Have a willingness. That's what what he's saying in that that has to do with his story. He was unwilling, and Nathan confronted him through God his spirit. And now we have this passage today. And so I, I don't want you to miss this. This is their worship book. Scott said this, but I want to reiterate it this morning. This is their king. And now their worship book. Remember, remember Scott's illustration? Imagine all your sins were written down, and then we took music, put it to them, and then we all began to si- sing your sins out loud. <laughs> That's kind of what you see here with David, right? But David is the king of Israel. Think about it. If he can confess, if he can live this honestly in front of the people, how much more can they? Right? And so that immediately begins to challenge us because David is very honest, Remember, verse 3 says, his bones wasted away. It means he, he, it was so heavy on him, he had no strength. It's like they were rubber, right? And, and the fever heat of summer, it's, it's you, you know how it is. We live in hot Atlanta, right? You just got to go outside just for a little while, and you know what that draining feels like, right, to, to be on you. And, and David says, that's how bad it was. That's how bad the guilt and shame were taken out my heart. He's very honest with it. So let's look at guilt and shame for a moment. Because this is, again, the place where this psalm begins to grab us in, this, in the ways it, it, it evokes the, the same way we live like David does. And so, first of all, guilt is something I think is given by God. It's put in our hearts to when we transgress his law, when we sin against him, when there's iniquity. These three words that the passage uses a few different times. When those things happen, there is a natural response to that. Guilt. And, and guilt is a, is a gift to us to stop and go, I feel something, something. There's a conviction in my heart. Let me stop and listen to it and not turn to something else, but, but to slow down. And so one author says guilt uh, is this. It's holding something we've done or failed to do up against our values and feeling psychological discomfort. So you, you, you sense this discomfort on something that's not adding up here. It, uh, it has many expressions, but not, you know, not less than that for sure. David shows us guilt can even have physical symptoms in our lives. That's psychosomatic, meaning things that we're feeling inside can come out in our bodies. And we know that, right? I mean, when you're nervous, when you, when you have to stand in front of people and talk, and you have butterflies in your stomach, right? But guilt and shame can do that. It's like a burden that's on you. And it says it, it zaps your energy. You know, and I meet with people all the time, and I went through this a lot, and have gone through it when I carry sin, and it wears me out. I'm always worn out. I always lack capacity. I always am just so tired by the end of the day when I'm not meeting and connecting with God and giving that away. So what is shame? Shame is, is called by Dan Allender and others the hemorrhage or bleeding of the soul. It is, it is to be aware, to notice, to perceive in ourselves that we are seen as deficient, undesirable, unlovely by someone we hoped would enjoy us. The author goes on to say the intensely painful feelings or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. Something we've experienced, done, or failed to do makes us unworthy of connection, unworthy of, of being connected to each other and to God, right? So guilt has often been said that I've done something wrong is why I feel conviction for that. Shame is I am wrong. Something's wrong with me. That would be a good way to slow down and see it. And so David, is he, does he have guilt or shame? I would, I would say both. And this is the reason I say both is because one of the main major signposts of shame is hiding. When we feel unlovely, when we feel undesired, when we feel there's something about us that's wrong and bad, we don't want people to see us. And in Scripture, we have this, this metaphor of nakedness to, to show that. We feel naked. We feel exposed. And so we hide. And there's this inner agony going on. And, and David has, he, David is showing that something he worshiped, something that was very important to him, now has been exposed. Otherwise, it wouldn't have the power it has. You know, if, if you find out, like, you know, I overspent my money last month. That's one thing. But as I've I shared this story before, one day I was out in front of my house, and my kids were running around, and I got on their, their butts really hard. Like, I was really harsh with them. This was probably five years ago when my harshness was way worse, and there was a lot of anger in my heart. And I got on him, and I turn around, and <laughs> I'm looking at my neighbor. He sat there and watched me do all of this, and I just immediately felt exposed. And so what, what does that tell you? How he views me is very important to me. Otherwise, it wouldn't have that power, right? If I go down and I just fall down the steps and he sees me, that's one thing. But he saw me devour my kids. I need him to see, think better of me. Right, and that's, that's what shame does. It sends us into that hiding place. It grabs us on a, on a heart-wrenching level, and it says, you're unworthy of connection. You, you, you shouldn't be seen. You're whatever. Whatever comes to mind for you. And so David was hiding, and he wanted to be seen as a good king, right? What are kings, the, the, their obedience, right? They serve God. They lead the people. That's what makes them good kings, right? And so David has to hide. He doesn't want anyone to see it. And he just swallows it down. And then David is caught. And I want you to see this. This is one of my favorite quotes that I've shared a few times. But it's by a woman named Sharon Hurst. And she wrote a book called The Last Addiction. And before we read it, but The Last Addiction is that we have all these addictions. But the last one, the biggest one, is we're addicted to us. We're addicted to fixing it ourselves or defining the way ourselves. Dealing with the shame and guilt ourselves. Listen to what she says. When you feel the sting of humiliation that often comes with being caught, it's hard to believe that it is a gift. But even the humiliation is a gift. It will either send us scrambling back to our oblivion to forget our failure and shame, or it will humble us enough to receive what is possible only when we are called to be known, to be forgiven, and to still be wanted. Hmm. We need to be called. There is a need for things to be seen, to be exposed, and will we be like the the donkey, or will we will we come willingly? That's that's what David is is drawing us to here. You know, our marriage, Jen and I, I feel like we have a pretty good marriage now, and we're still fighting for it, and still have conflict and a lot of struggles, right? But over the years, as I look back at what what's been healing us and helping us grow, there's been a lot of exposure, whether it be counselors. Friends, family, and you know a big one? Our kids. Our kids have have taught us so much, but I'm always tempted to take what I'm seeing and to push it down and to pull away. And, and, And David's story is what catches me there, and that temptation to do that. And so, how does David teach us about these two options? These two options of covering versus uncovering. He does it through a contrast. And so, let's look at it. David knew his need to cover and his propensity to hide, did not start with him. And remember, I taught you guys when we started the, this series on Psalms that there, there are five books to the book of Psalms. There's 150 Psalms, and they're broken up in five books. And the first 42 are on Genesis, then Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They, they go in there. And so this is Psalm 32. We're looking at book one. and book one, you see a lot of pushing back and looking at Genesis. And so where do we see uncovering nakedness in Genesis? It's in the garden. And so the words we see on the paper on Psalm 32 are are every Israelite would have looked back, would have known to look back at Genesis. In Genesis there, remember, Adam and Eve were there, and they were made beautiful, and they were naked and unashamed. They were created, integrated with shalom. Everything was at rest and in peace and wonderful and beautiful. Their original beauty was there. They were naked and unashamed. And, and you know what happens, right? The snake comes in. And the snake is also called naked. And the word translated naked for Adam and Eve is translated cunning for the snake. Because what the snake does is he comes in and he looks like truth. He looks like true nakedness, but it's, he spins it. It's, it's something different that he's offering. And Adam and Eve buy into it. And you remember what they do? They go and hide. And then we have God. He comes in and he's walking in the cool of the day. And he says, Adam, where are you? Right? Some people have said, there are authors who have said that can sum up the rest of the Bible. Where are you? Where are you? And, and remember, Adam says, he says, well, he says, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So why did he hide? Was it because they ate the fruit? No, it's not what it says. Because I was naked. So it's what the fruit caused in him. As soon as they ate the fruit, then began their need to cover, their need to hide. They could no longer be seen as naked. I love when Tim Keller preaches this. He says, well, you were naked yesterday too. (laughs) Which is a funny like, yeah, you've, you've been naked the whole time. That's not what's changed. Something else has changed. And they can no longer be naked. They now have a sense of being unlovely their original beauty gone. Their righteousness not here anymore. And David is intentionally pushing his readers' minds back. Nakedness equals an absence of conflict and vulnerable trust because they had an unhindered presence before God. That's what nakedness was before the fall. But then that original righteousness and beauty is shattered. They can no longer stand to be naked. They need to control what others see of them. And so let's look at the contrast in our verses, verses 1 and 5 together now. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. You can leave it up there, please. You see, we're, we're, we get to his two options in the text. One is the transgressions are—it's uh, uh, transgression, sin, and iniquity— Are all covered now, which means that's just the wholeness of sin is covered, and then David says in verse five, he uncovered. I will confess I didn't cover it anymore. So he can cover you, or we cover it ourselves. That's the options that we're given here, Um, and, and we must understand ourselves in that in that light. So we we either cover it or God covers it. That's the contrast that he's teaching that he's learned in his story. The way. We have those two options. Will we cover it or will we let God cover it? So uh, one author says that he is trying to, uh, in covering, we're trying to create a new sense of beauty because we lost our original beauty. We're trying to find it. We're trying to get it back in our covering. And so what are the different ways we cover? Think about it for yourself real quick. What are the, what are the ways you cover? When you have that sense of being unlovely, being seen, being not, being be the shame, Right? where where that sense of hiding, what do you use to to cover it? What do you put on top of it? Some of you maybe, and I do this at times, it's drivenness. My brother's been with me all week, and we have a hamster, and they have a a Boykin like us, a Boykin Spaniel, a dog, and the, the Boykin saw the hamster on day two. Every day now, he sits in front of the thing, and he tries to eat my hamster every single day. This is the most driven dog ever, right? He just sits there. Everything is about that hamster and just stares, right? That, that drivenness, that I have to do it this way. You know, and I know we're not dogs, but you get the point, right? It's this drive to, to do something, that, to, to not feel a certain way, right? What about control? Everything has to be clean and feel, and, and feel a certain way and look a certain way. I need to control things. And there are a hundred different ways we try to control things, right? Competence. Well, here's, here's one for me, isolation. I just, if I just stay away from people, stay away from my family, then I, I, nothing's going to be required of me. I'll, I will deal with that unloveliness I feel by just not putting myself out there to be seen. So pulling back, Medicaid, blame shifting, criticizing. Or here's one you often see, generosity. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve so much. I'm going to give so much that no one will look at me. Or I, I don't have to feel this. I can get something on this side to outweigh what I'm feeling on this side. Another one I often see is vulnerability. I'm going to tell on myself so you don't have to come tell me. I'm going to go ahead and expose myself so I don't have to let you do it now. It's a strange one, right, that you allow yourself to be seen to to keep a distance because the vulnerability is out there, but no one really knows you, right? You see this from preachers a lot. They're vulnerable here, and then when you get to know them in person, you don't see any of that, and we don't want that culture here. Another one's penance. We beat ourselves up. And you know where I see this one is in my prayer life. When I'm trying to pray for this, like I, our family needs something, and I know there's been willful sin, willful sin and distance, I can't get over this to ask for this. I find myself, okay, God, I'm sorry for that, and I keep going back to this thing so I can ask him for that. That's penance. That's, a, that's jumping through hoops and doing things a certain way, hoping that God would do, would do would, would, would bless me in those places that I need. So the options are to cover ourselves or to uncover. And allow God to cover us. You know, in hide-and-seek, there are times when I find the best hiding place. I remember when I was a kid, my dad had this double closet. And between them, there were these shelves that, that where we put linens and stuff. And you could kind of see it. I would hide on the top shelf which, with, with blankets on both sides of me. My brothers could never find me, ever. They would be looking and looking and about to give up. And I would go, you know, I'd do that yell, hey, in here. You know, and they would come around, and they still couldn't find me. And, and, and that's where the problem was. In, in order to move forward, they would have to learn where I'm hiding. I'd have to give my favorite space up. And then you know what happens when I give it up? I can't hide there anymore because they're going to come find me there. They're going to look right there because that's where I always hide. Brothers and sisters, friends, city church community, family, we, we need to know where each other hides. Where do you hide? Where do you run to? Where's that good hiding place for you? Because, you know, I've said a few things, and hopefully it's provoking things inside of you, but all of us are too complex and too beautiful to fit in a single category. There are places we run to that we need to invite others in and say, hey, listen, I hide here. This is where I hide. Where do you hide? Let's find each other in that place because our tendency is to stay there. Maybe you're at that place right now. How, how, what would it take for you to be seen like that? How could David, the king of Israel, be seen like that? And I think it's in the rest of our text. David had a remedy. David had had, had something that he could take that, that, that grabbed his heart in a way that allowed him to come out of hiding and to be seen. Look at verse 4. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You know, in, in this verse, he says something very different, uh, very interesting. He talks about the heavy hand of God. What is the hand of God in Scripture? You remember what it is? It's God's actions. And so God's actively got his hand on David. There is this pressure that he's bringing down into into his life. And so the question, wait a second, Mike, you said guilt and shame. Is it guilt and shame or is it God's heavy hand? And the answer is Yes. That God has given those things as gifts for us to stop. You know, shame is, is not his gift. Shame, he would never want us to believe that, that this thing about me is something that I need to use to get away from people. But guilt, the conviction of, of, of not living in line with what he's called us to, it's a gift from him. And it's and he uses his that as his heavy hand to come down. And and David says he even has physical symptoms from this. And so what do we see in it? But God's pursuit of David. God's pursuit of David is the hardships David is going through right now. That's what this psalm is showing us, this struggle. Will he stop and look? You know, my brother's son, uh, Ethan, they've been staying with us, and Ethan is a big, tall 18-year-old now, big kid. But when he was four, he was a big kid then, and he was strong and tenacious. And one day he's sitting on the side of the recliner, and there's this beautiful old church stained glass window about 16 feet high, in their, in their place, and he pulls off the chair and lands in it, and it cuts the back of his neck really bad, like really bad. So they rush him to the hospital, and they get in there, and, and Ethan is going nuts. He will not let anybody touch him. And he's, they try to put him on his face, he, you know, he's four years old. He doesn't understand. I don't know if it's me or what, but... But he doesn't understand what's happening to him, right? And, and, and Thomas, my brother, has to go and lay on him physically. And, and, and listen, Thomas would not let any other doctor do it. He had to do it. He laid on his son and put just enough pressure on him to hold him down and to hold his head so that the doctors could begin to stitch. was really ups, yeah really upset and had no idea what was happening, but his good father knew what he needed to be healed, and he was willing to bring just enough pressure and just just enough to where he could be healed that 's how our heavenly father does. He knows exactly how much weight to bring in, how much of his hand you need how much struggle, how much hardships, all the different things he brings in just enough to take us to that place so that we'll come out of hiding. And why does he want us out of hiding, friends? So that we can have more of him. It's not to distance us. That's what shame's goal is, to distance you, to still kill and destroy is what our enemy wants. He invites us to him for greater intimacy. That's why the heavy hand of God comes into him. And so if, if today... We have my brother, if he can be that good to do that with his son, how much better is our Savior? How much better is our Savior who comes in and knows exactly what we need? Uh, Listen to this quote um, from Richard Foster. It says this, um, it's coming. Today, the heart of God is an open wound of love. He aches over our distance and preoccupation. He mourns that we do not draw near to him. He grieves that we have forgotten him. He weeps over our obsession with muchness and manyness. He longs for our presence. And that's why he brings his heavy hand in our lives. And so, listen to to verses 1 and 2 again. And we're going to get to this remedy, kind of get clear with it. It says, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose, whose spirit there is no deceit. So who is the blessed person? Stop and think about it. Who is the blessed one? Does it say obedient? Does it say the one who leads well as a king? Who, who is the happy person? Who is the one who has well-being? It's the forgiven it's the one who God covers. Isn't that a little different than, than, than your prayer life at times? What's it, what's it assuming? It's assuming sin. It's assuming struggle. It's assuming that we have these hardships because blessed is the one he forgives, the one he covers. And why is that the blessed person? Because we have intimacy with him. We get him. We get more of him. And, you know, my, my mentor, I say this to you often, he says repentance is giving into God's way of dealing with our sin. That's what this psalm calls us to, to give into God's way. To to find relief in him. And and look at verse 7. It says, you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Instead of hiding from God, we hide in God. That's what that text tells us. You are where I go to in trouble. You are the one where I find solace, where I find uh, protection. And then Oh, yeah, we don't just stay in our, bro- our brokenness. We, we hear his promises for us. And then look at verse 11. It says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. And I've, Psalm 1 touched on this because Psalm 1 was a wisdom psalm. This is also a wisdom psalm. There, there are components in it. Who are the righteous? And listen, guys, this is the Apostle Paul in Romans 4. He quotes this, this psalm. Look how he understands Psalm 32. In in Romans 4, he says this, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And then he goes, in the next one, he, he quotes our two verses Blessed. And so it's not the one who obeys everything, it's not the one who does everything right, it's the one who's been forgiven. The one who's been forgiven gets the righteousness of God. And how is that possible, friends? And we said this in Psalm 1, on the cross, what happened to Jesus? He was uncovered. The clothing of righteousness was taken from him. And our sin was, what the, what the scripture uses, was imputed, was put into him, the one who knew no sin, so that in us we could be imputed or given, put in us, his righteousness that's what this psalm in 32 psalm 32 is pointing to is this the way Jesus would one day David couldn't know how how right he was could take our sin and we could get his righteousness on this side that's the difference between us covering and allowing God to cover us and to be hidden in him and so i want to leave you with a few things one from verse 5 on david stops talking about himself, and the focus is on us. He begins to teach us God's way. And verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. As as we learn the way to go, this is the promise of his presence. God promises to be there as we learn, as we learn from him and move forward. And he says, don't be like the horse. You know, he says all those things. But what I want you what I get to, is our mission. We, we, our mission statement here is to join God as family on mission for the renewal of all things. That God is at work. He's doing these amazing things in our hearts and our city, and we want to join Him in them. And so, how does this passage speak to that, that vision, that mission statement that we have? How does it speak to it? It's, it's that, again, David has tasted something that he now wants to give us. And friends, that's how we know if we taste it. It has this built in need to give it to someone else. When it goes in us, it's so good and so wonderful to come out of hiding, to be found, to be known, to be covered, to be righteous, that we, we must tell others. We must invite others along the way, and that's how we know if we're getting it. Are we giving that to our spouses, to our friends, to our children, to our community? Are we, are we able to be a safe place where people can come? Do people know your story like this? Or do you open your life up and let people see you and know you in a way that this is where I hide? This is where I'm prone to cover myself, but this is where God has covered me. This is where I've been pursued, loved, and enjoyed by God. And I don't want to tell you, you can have that too. That's, that's where this, this goes. That's what the, the whole psalm is doing. As David is met by God and covered, he wants us to get it too. He wants the people of Israel to get it, and through them, the extension of the church, who is us today. And so, where, are, are you that person? Where are your hiding spots? Who, who do you need to go tell, this is where I hide? Who, who in your community do you need to go to and say, man, I, I need to know where you hide. I want to know on your behalf where you hide because I want you to have more of him. I want more of him. City so Church, we're, we're called to be a community that does that for each other. And if you're new with us, we would love to tell you more about how we do that in our groups and in our different ways we, we decentralize when we leave here. Our, our DNA groups and our neighborhood communities and things. And so if you'd like to learn more about that, fill that on that Connect card. Stick it in the, in the, in the offering box on the way out, and we'll, we'll connect with you and help you learn to do that here at the church with us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your word that you cover us, the promise that if, when we come out of hiding that you meet us there. But that even in our hiding, you chase us, that you bring your heavy hand of discipline there and, and you lead us to repentance for our good so that we can have more of you. Jesus, I pray that we would get that this morning, that your goodness, your pursuit, your faithfulness would fall fresh and meet us in those deep places where we need to hear it. And for those in shame this morning, Lord, I pray you would confront it. That people would would not take what they believe or their mom or dad or someone else believes over what you say about them Lord this morning would they see your face and see your kind and good eyes and and welcome your pursuit in their lives and Lord, we especially now want to meet you at your table so would you would you lead our hearts there pray in your name amen
2: friends i don't i don't know about you but uh, coming back from a family vacation, sometimes it didn't feel like a vacation. <laughs> you know, we just got back uh, from 11 days with uh, our family and, uh, you know, there, we had some good times and we had some not so good times. So people ask, well, how was your time? I, was like, I, I don't know. I, I can need a few days to think about that. Um You know, and just over the last uh, couple of weeks, you know, again, we had some great times, but, you know, I had a couple of days where I was thinking, you know what, I've been drinking too much the last couple of days. But then I I go and think, you know what, but last week I didn't, so I'm good. Or, you know, I really blew up on, you know, Alicia's brother, right? You know, I had some anger issues. I'm holding some contempt, but, you know, I've been making dinners and helping out and doing these other things, so I'm good. You know, and I didn't think about it until Mike actually was preaching today. What I'm sort of doing is I'm covering my own unrighteousness. In a lot of ways, I'm covering it up. I'm I'm sort of saying, hey, well, I do these other things, so these other things aren't so bad. And I'm not going to Jesus and allowing him to cover me. I'm covering myself. And you know what? That's, That's tiring, isn't it? I mean, I feel a little bit tired coming back from our vacation, honestly, in doing these things. And then what do I run to? I run to, and I've had these thoughts. I'm thinking like, well, we spent 11 days there. Maybe next year we should spend like six. Or you have that fantasy like, maybe we shouldn't go at all next year. Maybe we should go somewhere else, you know. But, but you know, and, and I'm, I'm not, not advocating for boundaries with family. That's for sure. But it, just like Mike said, what, I'm, what am I doing? I'm a, I want to escape. I'm wanting to hide. I'm not wanting to enter into this pain. I'm not wanting to run to Jesus to cover it. So if, if you feel in, sa- in similar ways today and you're hiding, we we are just out of gas with all of this. Please uh, join me in the confession here. Uh, let's start here. We'll put it up on the screen. Father, forgive us for our stubborn hearts that often keep a distance from you. Forgive us for hiding our sin and shame and for believing you aren't as good as your word tells us you are. Help us see Jesus taking our shame so that we could be covered in your righteousness. Give us the confidence to come out of hiding and to give into your way of dealing with our sin. Make this community a place where people can be known and know each other in ways that can lead to outward flourishing. Thank you, Jesus, for taking our shame. In your name we pray. Amen. Why don't you take a, take a few seconds here and just reflect on how the Lord's convicting this in your hearts.